0: listening to the Midweek Redemption podcast, a resource from Redemption City Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. For more information about our church, please visit our website at redemptiongr.org. Church fam, it's Josh. Uh, today I want to have another conversation about how our physical bodies are involved in being apprentices of Jesus and you know, becoming more like him. We're going to look at some of Jesus' most famous and honestly most daunting teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. And the concept that I think we see in Jesus' understanding of being a human disciple is what I, what I call the heart-body loop. You can see a visualization of the heart-body loop in the show notes when you click on our theory of transformation. But the heart-body loop is a feedback loop with the heart on top and an arrow going down to the body on the bottom and then an arrow from the body going back up to the heart. It's a feedback loop. And the basic idea is this. Your heart affects what you do with your body and what you do with your body affects your heart. Your heart affects what you do with your body and what you do with your body affects your heart. This is not as far out of a concept as it initially sounds. A couple of years ago, I decided to run a 10K. At the time, I wasn't running at all. The last race I had done was years before I tried doing a half marathon. It wasn't a great experience. And I was like, hey, let me see you know, if I can redeem distance running. So in February, I signed up for a race in April, and I got a training plan, and I just started you know, running in the cold. Now, that first run was the worst. I mean, it was cold, my throat burned, and... My chest hurt, and I was like dry heaving, and it was terrible. You know, I did not desire to run. Uh, But I stuck with my plan, and my desire changed. I grew to love getting home from work and changing clothes and going for a nice long run, breathing deeply of cool air and seeing the river and big rapids and just being alone, quiet outside, even when it was cold, even when it was, you know, snowing sideways into my face. I grew to just love the physicality of being outside and running in the cold what I did with my body affected my heart, like what I desired. Now let's define our terms real quick. The heart is biblical language for basically that part of us that that represents our will, the ability to choose, and our desire and our emotions. So in the running example, the will part of my heart engaged, I willed, I chose to do a race. And and then I chose to do the training runs, even though I didn't desire that. And as a result of doing those runs, my desires change from wanting to, you know, just like hibernate all winter and eat pizza, to wanting to eat light and get outside in very cold but fresh air. Now, the concept of the heart is all over the Bible. The Bible talks about the heart in very serious, strong language, most notably might be Proverbs 4.23, which says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. What we want what we will or choose and what we feel what we is very important. But it gets tricky to talk about the heart, at least pastorally, because, you know, I, I couldn't sit here and say, hey, you know, change your heart. Hey, don't want that. You know, Jesus says, beware of all greed. So don't be so focused on money. Just stop it. You know, stop working so much to get money. Or, hey, your anxiety is hurting people. So stop it. You know, just change your heart. Change your emotion. So the question is, how do we change our hearts or our desires? Jesus would say, use your body. At least start engaging your body. And remember, it's a feedback loop. So one impacts the other. Your heart affects what you do with your body. And then what you do with your body is going to impact your heart. Now, maybe some of you doctrinal hound dogs out there are having some, you know, theological, you know, sirens going off. Let me just touch base on the theological context for the heart-body loop. This is super crucial. The heart-body loop, at least for the purposes of our discussion today, uh, as, you know, as it pertains to being Jesus' disciples, uh, comes into play after someone becomes Jesus' follower. Or to use another biblical term, it happens after we are born again. Or to use a theological term, it happens after we are regenerated, become a new creation This new birth, the regeneration, uh, uh, becoming a Jesus follower, being able to see Jesus as beautiful and desirable and wanting to give our lives to him is a miracle of the Holy Spirit that happens to a person by grace. We are dead in our sins, but God, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. He took our dead hearts of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. A heart of stone can't change. It's just a stone. But a living heart, a heart of flesh, it, it, to use the phrase from Ezekiel, it can grow and change and move and get strengthened. And so now, you know, in our like salvation experience, here we are. We're babies, freshly born again, new creations. And at this point, the heart body loop can bear incredible fruit in our lives. Basically, Because we're new creations, we now have a new heart that can will or choose something other than sin. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 7. We talked about that a couple episodes again. Like even though he's doing the things he doesn't want to do, his heart is new. And he's got a heart that at least can will to do something different other than sin. But as Paul talks about in Romans 7, uh, the the sinful nature ha- it keeps kind of rolling. It's like the law of sin still dwells in the body. Our desires and, mo- and emotions are often still stuck kind of in the sinful habits and patterns, the ways of being that we've kind of had ingrained into us for years. In our running example, you know, I chose to be able to run a 10K, but my habits and patterns kind of had me stuck in just being cozy and eating comfort food. I, You know, I might desire to be a pure person or a peaceful person like Jesus or to be humble and more interested in others than my own reputation. But, you know, I have these sinful patterns of stressing out about stuff or humble bragging about myself or watching, you know, borderline sexual things on Netflix or what, whatnot. And so we can do things with our bodies to affect our hearts, both for good and ill. Even if your will or, you, you know, you would choose to be content and satisfied in God, scrolling Instagram can unleash huge, you know, discontentment through comparison of your life to, you know, all the other glamorous people on the Internet. Jesus shows us this heart-body loop five times in the Sermon on the Mount. And those classic three-part sayings where he, the three parts are Jesus Jesus starts, You have heard it said, but I say to you, therefore. So look at the first one, Matthew 5, 21 through 24. first be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift. So here's the loop. Here's the heart body loop that Jesus just walked us through. First, he, Jesus starts with the religious teaching of the day that simply, you know, focusing on the actions of the body says, don't murder. Which, you know, let's be real, that's sound advice for all of us. You know, words to live by. Don't murder. But Jesus takes it deeper. Behavior modification is not enough because even if you are able to go your whole life without murdering someone, you can still have a heart that's full of anger and rage and resentment. Dallas Willard, when he's writing about these uh, passages, says that for many of us, the only thing keeping us from murder or adultery is the opportunity, the right circumstances. Murder and adultery can live in our hearts according to Jesus, even if we manage to never you know, act on it. But these are three-part sayings. He starts with the body, don't murder, at least says the real issue is your heart. And in my experience, the church, at least in our kind of Reformed Protestant streams, always stops there, the heart. Hey, behavior modification is not enough. God looks at the heart. God cares about what's going on inside of you. Check your heart. Work on your heart. Where's your heart? Guard your heart. And then we stop, and we just go on living as unhurried and materialistic and, you know, Game of Thrones watching as everyone else not following Jesus. And we, and we, we kind of get left in this place of like, dang, my heart is so messed up, you know, I'm a worm. And somehow I hope miraculously that this anger or lust, you know, just gets dealt with. But that's not where Jesus stops in these teachings. The third part of this anger teaching is, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So, according to Jesus, if you see anger in your heart, Jesus says, go do something with your body. Like, willfully choose to do this behavior in order to address the anger in your heart. He says, go to your brother with your body and with your lips, tongue, and lungs. Say the words to seek reconciliation, owning your part of the broken relationship. Guys, Jesus is so brilliant here. He knows that nothing will undercut our anger at other people, our resentment at other people, our bitterness, our unenacted, murderous emotions, like regularly confessing our sin, asking for forgiveness when we've sinned against someone, like a real person. That felt experience of person-to-person forgiveness, it only hints at the extravagance of the forgiveness we've experienced from God. And so that that like person to person forgiveness becomes almost like a sacrament, this like little place, this like place where we feel it so real and physically that we have been forgiven. And this, according to Jesus, is one of the main ways that we deal with our anger. If you have an anger issue and would like to not have an anger issue, do something with your body, according to Jesus. Now, I'm not going to do all the heart body loops, but let's look at the next one, adultery. Matthew 27, 5: 27 through 30. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Modifying your behavior to the point where you don't actually enact. Adultery is again good advice for all of us. But geez, is it possible to have a super lustful heart even if you like never actually touch someone else? Of course, God help us, especially with you know the internet. So what does Jesus tell us to do? Sit around and hoping that the lust in our heart just goes away? No, he says, Remove the things that cause you to sin. I read once that a foolish person merely tries to avoid sin, whereas a wise person will try to seek to avoid temptations to sin. Of course, you can't avoid them all. They'll come for you, spiritual warfare, all that. But you can't avoid a lot of them. Jesus says, cut out your eye. or Cut off your hand if it's causing a problem when it comes to lust and purity. He didn't mean literally dismember yourself, but he did mean that we should be ruthless when it comes to removing things that cause us to sin. So whenever I'm walking with someone who's trying to kick a porn habit, the first thing we do is talk about their story, their background, all that stuff. And then the second thing that we talk about is what it looks like to remove causes to sin, which typically looks like getting rid of their smartphone or canceling their Internet service at their house or whatnot and it's always very dramatic. You know, people come in in tears because their wife caught them looking at porn or they're just so fed up with how stuck they are in this habit and they they want to kick it and then you start talking about removing some of the causes to sin and it gets very dramatic. You know, how can we live without the stuff that didn't exist 20 years ago? But I shouldn't joke because of course, like it would be kind of a big deal. It'd be extremely inconvenient to do without a smartphone or the internet. But would it be more inconvenient than cutting off your hand? I don't think so. Now, again, just getting rid of the causes to sin is not enough, especially with porn. With porn, there's always an underlying, you know, unbelief in the gospel, an unhealed wound or suffering that's, you know, seeking, you know, relief and oblivion. The real goal is to you know have people struggling with porn and you know everyone obviously to have a lived experience of the gospel that that the reality that in Christ God looks at you and says you're my son whom I love and I'm pleased with you but dang not having a device in your pocket 24/7 that in just a tap or two on the screen will get you literally anything you want to see in front of you like that makes it much harder to live in that in that fatherly benediction of God to you in Christ but this choice, this thing you do with your body to get rid of causes to sin can can create space for the desires of your heart to change. Like being in the void of whatever your emotions are. Uh, Without the security blanket of lust to distract you will, by the power of spirit, change your desires and form you into a person where your character is changed, uh, where it's more natural and automatic for you to run to God with your anxiety or your insecurity than it is to run to pornography or an unhealthy relationship. There are three more heart-body loops that Jesus goes through in Matthew chapter 5, but I hope you can see, just looking at two of them, that straight from our king and savior and rabbi, that what we do with our body is going to deeply affect our hearts, what we desire, how we feel. And you can play this out in so many ways. Like, consider hurry. You know, what if we did less with our bodies? Like, when we're busy, when we are less busy, how might that help you be a kind and patient person? You know, how how do you feel about your fellow drivers on the road when you're in a hurry versus when you have plenty of time? I think just about any heart change that you want to see in your life can be fostered by something that you can do with your body. And listen, y'all, like in our theory of transformation, that is essentially what the spiritual practices are meant to be and do. You can use this list of historic spiritual disciplines that have helped Jesus' followers for millennia You can use them like medicine to treat kind of like whatever ails your heart. You know, if you, I'm actually developing a a grid because I I love grids that that kind of flesh this out. Like kind of from the the heart ailment all the way to how, how that discipline would help it. You know, for example, lust. You know, try fasting from food, like experiencing, you know, kind of limits of physical pleasure in the area of food. Or the simplicity, the discipline of simplicity, you know, getting rid of your phone or something like that. Anxiety, try going for slow walks in nature, prayer walks in nature, beholding the scope and scale of God's creation and all the organisms and creatures that God is sustaining right now without any help from you. That's straight out of Matthew 6. like Consider the birds of the air if you're anxious. like You can do that with your body. And we could go on and on. Honestly, it's the joy of my life to help folks kind of identify what God is calling them to become, what parts of their heart God wants to kind of get after and conform into the likeness of Christ, and then help them join God in that process by finding you know practices, things that you can do to participate in God's redemptive work in your life. So holler at me if you're curious how like bodily spiritual practices might help you see heart change. Guys, the heart-body loop is great news for us. I mean, who made us? Who decided to make us as embodied beings? God did. God, Your body isn't an afterthought to the soul. Like He formed our bodies first out of the dust of the earth, and then he breathed life into them. Our bodies are immeasurably important. They're an important resource as we seek to become like Jesus, become the kind of people of love and joy and peace that experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. That's what I got for today. I love you guys. I hope this is encouraging and exciting. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so holler at me. Have a great week, and we'll talk next time.